0: And what glorious truth that is of the work that Christ has done for us, and that all praise and all honor belongs to him and him alone. If you would, one more time this morning, pray with me, and we'll dive into God's word together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the promises that you have made for us, and Father, that the hope that we have that is found in Christ, uh, that Jesus Is our hope, Father, that we know his work to be true. Father, that the work that he has done for our sin on the cross is sufficient. Father, that he has been risen victoriously over sin and death. That we too would have life in him for all who would believe. Father, I pray that that gospel truth would just ring true in our hearts this morning. Father, we confess again that we are in desperate need of you. And so as we open your word, I just ask, Father, that we would hear from you and that your spirit would just move in our hearts. Father, we don't need to hear anything I have to say. Father, we need to hear from your word that you have spoken to us. And so, Father, I ask that you would just help me to communicate that the best that I can Father, that I would communicate the truths of the work that you have done for us so that you would be made much of. And, Father, we would be drawn to you. Father, that we'd be drawn to live for you and for your glory. And so, Father, I ask, Father, that you would just work in this room over the next few minutes. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning... We're going to um, take a break from our series that we've been in, going through the New Testament book of Titus. And I'm just going to be quite frank with you. I am so thankful because, honestly, I personally need a break from Titus. Um, If you don't know, my son's name is Titus. um, And it's been a really long week. Um, unfortunately, um, he spent a couple days in the hospital um, this week. He had gotten really sick, and kind of all of our kiddos were just not themselves. Um, and I say that all, really just to say this. I, I want to take a moment just to say thank you, church. Um, you guys bless Jess and I and our family in incredible ways this week. Um, As we were trying to balance um, four kids with one in the hospital and doing different things, so many of you reached out in so many various ways, and it just truly, truly uh, blessed our heart to have this church family, and we are grateful. I know many of you have been praying, and we certainly have felt your prayers. Um, And I'm glad to say that all of our children are feeling great. We had a great weekend and they're all here um, today. But others of you were dropping off food. We had a full Thanksgiving spread for Thanksgiving as we were cooped up on Thursday. It was just quite the blessing. We are good on food. Okay, like we're good for the next couple of weeks. We thank you for that. It was awesome, incredible. Other you, others of you reached out in different ways. Some of you even laid down everything you had going on to come to our house and watch some kids so that we could go and be with Titus and others and the various things. All that to say, incredible. And what a testament it is to truly being the church. And we were blessed. And I just want to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I do joke, I'm not tired of Titus, our sermon series at all. I'm also not tired of Titus, my son. Okay, I love my son, but it had been a long week. But all that to say, we will hop right back into our series through the book of Titus next Sunday. But today, today, I just want us to pause, right? Because I, for one, need to pause for just a breath of fresh air. But we're we're entering into a season now right, of this Christmas season, a busy time. And for believers, it's what we call Advent season, right, for us. And and I think it's just good to take a moment just to pause and remember, right, Advent simply meaning arrival, right, arrival, arrival. Well, as believers, we celebrate what I believe to be the very heart of Christmas, and I hope you do too. And the heart of Christmas is that what we know is that Jesus was born. The Messiah had come. The Savior of the world is here. This is Emmanuel, God with us. What he was doing in his arrival, that Christ has come to restore a people back to himself. But in this arrival, why such a focus on his birth? Like, why do we celebrate this all Advent season long? Why do we focus on the birth? Like, why does his arrival even matter? What does it really mean for us? Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Isaiah chapter 9. Um, we are going to be reading a quick prophetic passage here in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And before we read that, I just kind of want to set up kind of what we'll be doing this morning. First off, I want to say I know that in in many respects, in many ways, this is really a simple passage. And, and honestly, I, I hope that it is. I hope we simply read this and you hear the simplicity of what it is because we stand on one side of this prophetic message knowing the fulfillment that has happened in Christ. And so it should just be simple reminders of the truths of what we celebrate and why we do. But in that, I I hope that you will pause long enough for his word and this truth that we know to be in this arrival, that you would pause long enough just to hear this in a fresh way to hear this in a fresh way, and that you would hear and understand the hope that we have this season. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at it in its entirety in its text. We're kind of going to give like this overarching view of what's going on. And then after we do that, then we're just going to kind of dive in more slowly and and break this text apart and just to see kind of more of the nuance and the details that are happening in this passage. So as we read as we read, I want you to just hear the beauty of this prophecy. I want you to see the reminder of how, really, even in this text, this simple seven verses here will show us how the entire Bible works to just scream the name of Jesus. That everything from cover to cover points to Him who is to come. Like everything is about Jesus. And I want you to. Fill the anticipation of his coming. I want you to fill the anticipation that is there. And I want you to see how everything is fulfilled through this promise. Everything is fulfilled in Jesus. And we should look at how his arrival, he's making all things new. That Christ has come and in his coming, he is making all things new. So read with me. Let's read Isaiah 9, beginning verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. will do this. Right? As we hear this passage, I I want us to just remember the state in which God's people are in in Israel, right? They had just heard the prophecy before this from Isaiah of how like impending doom is upon them, like judgment is coming, right? We see in chapter 8, like the Assyrians are going to invade their land. So we have this invasion from Assyria happening, and that's going to leave God's people of Israel in utter destruction and total darkness and despair. And that's important for us to notice and note because, again, we, we are going to be reading this passage knowing the fulfillment that happens here. Like We know about the arrival and what Jesus has done and what he has accomplished. right? And they're sitting in this other side of it, and this call to hear and wait patiently on the Lord. Like, as they hear this, they're reminded of the truth that they know, but they're pointed to a hope that is greater still, and it's a call to wait patiently on the Lord, to seek his face and to know that something greater is to come. So hold fast and wait with great expectation for his arrival because he's not going to leave them there. But we've all been there, right? We've all had times in our lives where we've felt in complete despair. Like, Like maybe you walked through something that you couldn't see the end. You couldn't imagine how things could possibly get better with what you were facing. You didn't see Any way out of a situation. Maybe that's you, like right now in this moment. Maybe in this moment, you're in this room and all you want to do is just quit. You just want to give up. You don't see anything that could possibly be better. Maybe you're like me and you even hear in this state, in this state of despair, you hear words like in James chapter 1 where it says, count it all joy when you face various trials for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And you think, really, James? Like when I'm facing suffering and trials, I'm supposed to count it all joy? Like I don't really feel the joy, right? And you know what it produces in me? It doesn't produce steadfastness produces the urge in me to, like, punch somebody in the face because maybe that would give me joy, Like, right? Don't do that. Don't punch anybody in the face. It won't give you joy. It will create a whole lot of other problems for you, okay? But in seriousness, the seriousness of this passage is sometimes we feel in despair. We feel like there is no joy. We are lost in darkness. We are lost in the midst of our suffering and our anguish. But this overarching view, I think the answer to that is found in this question here. And the question is, where is your hope? Where is your hope? It's something we have to answer. Uh, earlier this week, I was talking with a couple of our RSM students, and they asked me, they said, Daniel, have you seen uh, the Hunger Games? And I'm like, Hunger Games, I hadn't heard about that in years. So they're like, of course I've seen the Hunger Games. I love the Hunger Games. Apparently there's a movie or something coming out or already came out, um, a new Hunger Games. So I was like, oh, cool, excited. And I was telling them of how, yeah, like I love that series. I thought it was really good, right? Apparently it's a book series and I know the books are always better. I didn't read the books, I watched the movie. I'm a visual learner, okay? So, but I love the movies, okay? So if they're different, I'm sorry. But the, the whole premise of Hunger Games right, is that, like, these people want power and control, and they're really trying to just eliminate all these other people so that they could have their rule and reign, Um, and, but in that, there's this section in this scene of the movie, the very first movie, where President Snow and Seneca Crane are talking, and these two guys are bad guys, right, they're not the good guys of this series, Um, and And there was a moment in that scene that reminded me of, man, like this is a profound truth and statement. And I want you to hear what was said. Think about the setup of what the Hunger Games is, right? And they want to eliminate everything, right? So that they would have their rule and their reign. And President Snow is talking. And, right, they have these games where they choose one person from every um, tribe or whatever they call them in the movie, and, um, and they put them all together in this big game, And right? And everybody's, it's like fight to the death. But they let somebody win. And so there's one victor. Like, and, and President Snow is talking to Crane, and he's, he's like, do you know why we have a victor? And Crane doesn't really know what to say, what the answer is. And hear this. This is what President Snow says in this scene. He says, we have a winner because of hope. He said, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine as long as it's contained. And cranes like, so? And President Snow says, so contain it. Right? <laughs> So unfortunately, President Snow and, and these guys, they, they, they want to use hope because they understand its power for people, but they want to use it in a bad way, in a means, which he understands its power, which is why he's like, we need to contain that because we can give them a little bit of hope, which enables them to feel like they have enough hope that they'll do and submit to what we have going on here. But if they have too much hope, then they'll understand that the people are more powerful than they really know, and they'll revolt. And that's the rest of the series, right? Like, they'll revolt against them. And so he says, we've got to contain this hope. But the the truth in this scene that we see is that hope changes everything. Hope changes everything. This is the first point to hear is that our fear can grip us, right? When we're in despair, our fear can grip us, but hope fuels us in knowing something better is to come. It fuels us. And although we may not see it yet, we can endure because we know what lies ahead and we are encouraged to press on. Hope changes everything. So when you're in despair, the question is, where is our hope? Because hope will fuel us to go on. Hope will fuel us to endure what we're is so that we would know that there is a greater joy even still. There is a joy that still can be found in the midst of our pain and our suffering because hope is to come. And that's the message of this passage. And we know on the other side that hope has come and has come through the child that has been given and his name is Jesus so let's break this down further. Look again with me. Verses 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them as light, shown. Like I want you to just pause and see the contrast of what's happening here, just in these two verses, a stark contrast in many ways that are highlighted, right? Isaiah is talking about the former time as opposed to the latter time. And in that, we see how the Lord would move a people from gloom to glory. He would move a people from gloom to glory, and he would move them out of darkness into light. That's an amazing contrast of what is happening, and this is the very fact and promise of what Jesus has come and set out to do upon his arrival. He is making all things new. He has come to restore a people back into themselves. He's taking them from gloom, right? In verse one, that there would be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And then he makes the way glorious, right? Those who dwelt and walked in darkness, on them the light has shone. Man, what a beautiful picture and image of upon this arrival of this advent of what the Lord has set out to do. And this was the plan from the beginning, right? So remember, we've, we, we talked about what's going on in chapter 8. And then these people, right, they're, they're hearing now this beautiful prophetic word of what's to come so that they might cling to the Lord and wait patiently on him in the midst of what they know they're going to face, right? Even just in the verse right above where we started in chapter 9. The last verse of chapter 8, verse 22, it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Israel was in trouble. God's people were in anguish, lost without hope. Yet what we see... Here in chapter 9 is this beautiful word and this reminder that the Lord had not forgotten them. The Lord hadn't forgotten them. He had not forsaken them. He is a God of promise, meaning he is true to his word and his promises. That's who God is. And for us, that same truth rings true in our hearts. When you're in despair, when you feel that you have been forgotten or abandoned, lift your eyes to him because he is restoring all things back to himself. You have not been forgotten. The Lord has remembered you and he loves you. He cares for you. He is good and he is faithful. He is a God of promise. He is true to his word. He will not leave you in the gloom, but yet he has set out to make the way glorious. The light has shone in the darkness. And I love that imagery here of the light being shown in the, the darkness. And it reminds me of John 1, right? We think about the New Testament and John 1. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shone into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Right a few verses later, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The light, the true light, the pure light was coming into the world and it has shone into the darkness upon his arrival. Hope has arrived and his name is Jesus. Hope has arrived and his name is Jesus. This was the call for this people to believe and hold to the hope that is to come, to wait with expectation, to wait patiently on the Lord, knowing that something greater was coming and that there was hope. There was hope in the midst of what they were walking through. It's a beautiful word. But for us today, right, we know the fulfillment of that. We have the New Testament even, Right? Just these two verses fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, and it says, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then in 15 and 16, it says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadows of death, on them a light has shone. This is a great and glorious truth of the fulfillment that is to come through Jesus. And we know that Jesus has fulfilled that, in particular, even to the point of in this area, right? And so what's important of noting the area? Like, what is he talking about of Zebulun and and Naphtali and this region around the Sea of Galilee, the Galilee of the nations? What is going on here, right? And why is this important? By right. geographically, when we look at Zebulun and Naphtali and the land of Israel, like these tribes are the northern part of the promised land, right? And so if Assyria is going to invade, they're going to come in from the north, which means they'll be hit first, this area. And being hit first, there will be total destruction and gloom and anguish, right? There will be darkness. It will be destroyed. But yet in that area it had not been forgotten. And yet it says how this region, which is around the Sea of Galilee, the Galilee of the nations or Gentiles, has been made glorious because the light has shone. And why is it made glorious? Because Jesus himself is their glory. Jesus is their glory and he has come. He has come. So he has been made glorious. And I do believe that there is a connect being made here of how not only is God coming for Israel, but the nations as well, right? You note that in that, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, around the sea of the Galilee of the nations, right? Or the Galilee of The Gentiles. I I do believe that that's a pause for us to see that not only is he coming for Israel, but he's coming for the nations. And this will be good news for us. So let's look verses three through five again. Let's look further. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, for every boot of the tramping warrior and battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Let's stop there. So verse three: God has multiplied the nation and its joy has increased. What does this mean? That God has multiplied the nation and its joy has increased. You remember years back, remember God's promise to Abraham? God's promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. And I'm sure he was even thinking, what what, what does that even mean? And not just the father of Israel, he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Meaning somehow, Israel would become a multitude of nations. And I believe what's happening is in this, God is opening the way from the beginning, what was a part of his perfect plan. which was always the plan that he would make way for the Gentile. And that's good news for us. That is good news that hope is extended to the Gentile. And he has grafted us in as children of God. What a great and glorious truth that we, a people in darkness, the light has shown and he would graft us in. And we would be called children of God. What a great and glorious truth, right? Jesus says in John ten sixteen, and I have other sheep, that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. What great joy is this, that Christ himself is our hope, he is our glory, that he has multiplied the nations, right, a multitude of the nation, and increased its joy. And what great truth that is for this this morning. And then even later on the back half of verse three, we see this idea that we would rejoice with joy as in the harvest, and then be glad when they divide the spoil. John Piper um, defines this joy that we see described here, I think, really well. He defines it in two ways. Right? He says, This is the joy expressed and plenty, right? The harvest. And then the joy expressed in victory, right? This is the dividing of the spoil. So we have joy in victory in the harvest, and we have joy in his victory, that it was complete. It was final, that the work that he would do, everything would be subject under him. He would rule and reign above it all, That Jesus has truly conquered it all. And that's what we see in verses four and five, that all things are subjected to him, that he is Lord over everything. That Christ has finished the work. That is what he has set out to do upon his arrival and that we know it is over. And I love the note that we see even on the back half of verse four here. And it says, right, as in the day of Midian, And as in the day of Midian, well, what does that mean? What is he referring to? And he's referring to a people that would know this story really well and the victory won in the day. And this is alluding to Judges 7, which we know as the battle for Gideon, right? And I've always thought Gideon is such a cool name. Because of this story, like, we have a getting in this church. I was telling his parents in the first service, like, man, like, well done. Like, that's a lot to aspire to, like lofty goals there. You set the standard high, right? And I get that because my parents chose to name me Daniel, right? So I had a lot to aspire to and live up to. I don't really try to test my luck in a lion's den or anything. But I get it. Like, names are important, especially in this day. But what does the Lord do on the day of Midian? God shows his power and might by delivering the Midianites into the hand of Gideon with just 300 people. It was to show his power that they were completely dependent on the Lord, that the Lord has won his victory. And ultimately, it points to show us that the victory that we will have complete in Jesus Christ, that he has conquered everything. Again, even in this short passage of scripture that we see in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, it is pointing us to see how the entire Bible is pointing us to Jesus. Not just this prophetic word of the hope that was to come, right? We see and we know the fulfillment that has happened in Jesus Christ upon his arrival, upon his death on the cross, and that he has risen victoriously over sin and death. He has conquered it all. It is final. It is sufficient. It is good. But we also are reminded of what these people would know in these stories of old in the Old Testament and how the whole time this has been God's perfect plan in making all things new. To restore all things back into himself that he alone would receive all the glory. Even the story of Gideon should point you to see Jesus. That Jesus is coming. That Jesus is coming and he will conquer it all. That the battle belongs to the Lord. He is good. He is faithful. This is good news for us because Jesus reigns above it all and we share in his victory. We share in his victory. Romans eight thirty seven. we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He is our hope. We are more than conquerors in him because out of his goodness and his faithfulness, he loved us and the son has been given. He has come. He is good, so we should look to him. So let's do in verses 6 and 7, the rest of this passage here. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the culmination of the entire passage. That a child is born, a son is given. Right, And the beauty in that is that this is not just any child, And I love that it's noted here in Isaiah that it's a child is born, a son is given. Like we should know that distinction because that means that the son, the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, God himself has come down to us, making himself lowly as a baby upon his arrival. And that the son, that God himself would dwell among us. Emmanuel, God with us. So the beauty of this is that he came in the likeness of man, fully God, yet fully man, which is important so that he could conquer sin and death once and for all, something that we could not do, we cannot accomplish. But he came fully man, yet still fully God. And he lived a perfect life, He became the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb so that by his blood that he atoned for our sin on the cross, but that he was risen victoriously over the grave and that we would have life in him for all who would believe. That is the hope that we have, that we should wait with great expectation, knowing that he has come. He is good. You see, this reminds us of the glorious work that Christ was to accomplish and he was come to do upon his arrival. And so we should marvel at this work. We should hear this word in such a fresh way, even though we know that he has come and that all of this has been fulfilled, we should still wait patiently on the Lord and marvel him and behold him. We should stand in all of Jesus and it should draw our heart to worship him. The one who is to come, the one who has come. We should be drawn to worship because this is a great hope that brings great joy. Right? And we know this. It's noted that no one else is like him. Nothing else is remotely close to Jesus and who he is and what he's done. There's nobody like him. And I love the descriptions that we are given here. And he should be called what? He is our wonderful counselor. What does that mean? He is wise. There is no counsel that is greater. He leads and he guides us. He is all wisdom. He is the wonderful counselor. Look, I believe in counseling. I think counseling is a great thing. But if you're receiving any counsel from anything that is apart from the wisdom that we know of in the Lord, it's not good counsel. Any counseling that you receive should be counseled through the lens of our great and wonderful counselor. He is wisdom himself. He is wise He's the wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is strong. He is all-powerful, able to do what we could not. He's the mighty God, the one who reigns above it all. All power and dominion belongs to him. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty God who has done the work for us. All power. He is our everlasting Father. He is wisdom. He is mighty, but yet he is also compassionate and kind. Christ is an everlasting Father for us. Right? He cares and loves us. Right? That idea that He has grafted us in, right? This received this spirit of adoption. Right? That we are called His children that he is not forsaken or abandoned us, that he loves us and that he himself has come out of his love, out of his compassion and kindness to restore us back to himself, to reconcile all things back to himself. He's the everlasting father, but he's also the prince of peace. He's Emmanuel, God with us, and he is who our hope resides in because he lifts us From our despair, he gives us the hope that we have to press on, to persevere. He is our peace. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't know why we're having to endure the things we do, he is peace beyond understanding. That's who he is. And so we can persevere and we can also, as James said, count it all joy. Because we know of the work that Christ has come. He is wisdom. He is all-powerful. He is the everlasting Father, compassionate and kind, who loves us, and he is our peace. Nothing is outside of his rule and reign, and he will reign forever. Nothing is outside of his rule and reign, and he will reign forever. Forever, right? It says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There is nothing outside of his reign and rule. And in his rule is one of goodness and kindness, of justice and righteousness. And he has come to establish from this time forevermore. And that is our hope eternal and that we have the one who reigns and rules above it all, and he will reign forever, and that ought to draw us to him, to worship him and to proclaim this goodness, to know that he alone is good, he alone is faithful, he is worthy of it all, so we should behold him and marvel in the work that he has done. So let me ask you again, where is your hope? Who do you look to when you're in despair? Isaiah spoke this prophecy for a people so that we would, they would believe. It was a call to wait patiently for the Lord, knowing that he was to come and he was better. In church, that same call is true for us. We bear witness to the fact that Christ has come. We have seen his glory. We know that Jesus was crucified on the cross but resurrected three days later and sin and death have been defeated. Do you believe? Could you pause this Advent season and ask yourself, do I believe? Do I know this hope that has come into the world? And do we wait patiently on the Lord. Because the truth is that there's a second Advent. There's a second Advent. As we celebrate through the season, we look to him and we wait with great expectation, just as this people did, because Christ has come, he lived, he bled, he died, he has risen, and he is coming again. He is coming again for his people. And so we wait patiently on the Lord until he calls us. We're reminded of what he has done, and we live for him and his glory. He is making all things new. He is the God of restoration. And we are reminded that we have not been forgotten. So if that's you today, know that you have not been forgotten. You are loved. Lift up your eyes to the one who himself has reached down to you to pull you out of the pit, he himself. And whatever you may be walking through, there is hope. Even in pain and suffering, there is joy greater still. There is peace, even when we can't see it. His love has been shown through the child that was born, and the son That has been given. So cling to Him this Advent season. As we enter into this season, cling to Him and tell others of His arrival so that others too may hear and believe. He is our hope, He is our Redeemer, He is our salvation. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You alone are faithful. You are worthy of it all. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. Father, that we know this to be true. Father, that you are a God of promise, that our hope resides in you. And so, Father, we ask that you would just move in our hearts and that you would draw us to yourself and that we would be reminded of these simple truths of your word, that you have come. That you were Emmanuel, God with us. So, Father, I pray for the wondering heart in this room. I pray for the wondering heart. Father, that they would be drawn back to you. Father, that they would know and understand the grace that you have lavished upon us out of your love. And, Father, that you bring us from death to life. Father, you bring us out of gloom. Into glory, you've made the way glorious in our darkness that the light has shone. Would that be true in our heart? Father, would we believe that the Son has come, that Jesus has been given, the work he has done is good and sufficient, so we hold fast to him. Father, proclaiming its word and the hope that we have to a world that is lost around us, so that they too would hear and believe. Father, we need you. Father, move in us. May we be a people who would live this truth. Father, we would carry this heart of this season. Father, we would wait with great expectation. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.